How Screwed Are We? A special look at the most recent report on climate change from the IPCC. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Well, hey, everyone. It's Science Mike, uh, back from the Liturgist Gathering in London. My voice is just getting strong enough to do podcasts again, although you might still hear a little bit of a rasp because, wow, did we have a party together in London. Lots of fun seeing all of you over there. Even more fun uh, drinking too much tequila and dancing the night away. (laughs) At a club in central London. That was a lot of fun. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might be new to this program. So this this is a podcast called Ask Science Mike. I'm the host. My real name is Mike McCarg. I'm an author and a podcaster who talks about science and religion and spirituality and life in general and how those things get integrated together. And uh, this is a podcast where I answer people's questions every week. And this week, we're going to have kind of another special episode uh, because some really big news has come out. But before we get into that, and before some of you start hitting skip in your podcast players, uh, I have a ton of stuff coming up in October and November. And so there's a chance to turn this thing where I just talk in a microphone and you listen into a dialogue where I get to communicate with you. Uh, And I'd love for that to happen. So there's several opportunities in October and November to turn our parasocial relationship into a proper social relationship. So one of the first one of those uh, is something called the Cosmic Campfire. Now, you might have heard me talk about this before as an event we are planning, and that's still coming, although it'll be next year. Uh, But just in just a few days, on October 22nd, I think, We're doing an online pop-up book club about a book called How I Found God in Everyone and Everywhere. And that features contributors like Deepak Chopra, Richard Rohr, Rupert Sheldrake, lots of folks who are, you know, prominent thinkers and scientists and theologians. And it's a book about panentheism and mysticism. And I just thought it would be really useful and interesting to people who listen to this program. So I'm going to participate in that. Here's what it'll look like. A weekly email with insights from each chapter, which each one is a memoir in the book. There'll be an online private Facebook group for discussion, and there will be a weekly video Q&A with one of the contributors to the book. And I will host some of those. I'll be asking the questions uh, to some of the contributors to this book. And the best thing about that, well, there's two great things. One, it's online, so everyone can participate. If you've complained, I never come near you for events. I will be in your living room uh, or wherever in your house that you choose to watch for this event. And two, it's pay what you can. There's no set cost. So if your budget's tight, then just send very little money. That's all. So really excited about this one. You can learn more by going to cosmiccampfire.party and sign up for our online book club that me, Trip Fowler from Homebrewed Christianity, and Mike Morell, uh, who co-wrote uh, that book on the Trinity with Richard Rohr. So you definitely want to sign up for that. Okay. Also, twice, two times in November, we're having the Liturgist Gathering. 
just like we had in London. Uh, we'll be in Minneapolis on November 16th and 17th. And we will be in Nashville December 30th. <laughs> no, November 30th and December 1st. December 30th would be a terrible idea. So it is November 30th and December 1st for the Liturgist Gathering. These are tons of fun. My favorite thing about them is how quickly it seems like people forget that we're in the room and just start hanging out with each other. Uh, you can learn more and grab tickets at theliturgistgathering.com. And then I do have some other events. Um, October 17th, uh, which will, is the week this podcast comes out, I'm doing an Ask Science Mike live in Placentia, California. By the way, thanks to the event organizers for sending me a pronunciation guide for Placentia. Uh, so I'd love to see you there. And then I'll be at Evolving Faith October 26th and 27th. And then November 3rd and 4th, I'm doing a Contemplative Spirituality and Christianity Conference in Greeley, Colorado at the First Congregational United Church of Christ. So you can go to mikemccarg.com slash events to learn more about all of those. I know that's a lot, but there's like a ton of times in the next two months we can get together. And then as we move into December, uh, I still have a bunch of events in the first part of uh, next year. So I'll start telling you about those as well. And that's the good part of today's show. <laughs> now the less less fun conversation. And this is definitely, definitely less fun. I've really been struggling uh, trying to figure out how to communicate this with all of you. Uh, this is this is big news. So this is definitely an episode you want to listen to, pay attention to, uh, study on afterwards, because we're talking about the future of human civilization and life on Earth. And I don't think I'm uh, raising the stakes too high there. If anything, I'm not raising them high enough. Uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC for short, released a new report last week, a report that included over 91, or maybe exactly 91 contributing scientists, about climate change. And it is very worrisome. Now, the IPCC is a group that has made consistently good projections on climate change. Uh, these are some of the best climate scientists in the world. They are thorough. They are uh, conservative with their projections. Uh, they are not prone to panic. So I just want to be clear that this is not a fringe group. This represents the very best consensus of what we have in climate science. And this new report uh, is quite worrisome, very, very frightening. Uh, what they are finding, climate scientists, is that we are seeing increased impacts at less temperature change for things like drought and therefore wildfires, heavy rain events, coastal flooding, and heat waves. So basically, those things have gotten more severe more quickly at a certain amount of warming so far, and they're expected to get even more severe even more quickly for every degree of warming that happens on the planet. And it's possible, although there's less evidence for this, that uh, hurricanes and tornadoes are already seeing increased impacts from climate change and will see faster, uh, worse impacts than previously forecast. 
that's a big deal. You know, my hometown, Tallahassee, Florida, just was on the edge of one of the most powerful hurricanes to make landfall on the U.S. And on the edge, and and most of my friends still don't have power. Uh, a lot of the streets are blocked. And Tallahassee came through that storm really well. Uh, Mexico Beach, where I used to go as a kid, was destroyed. Apalachicola, which is one of my favorite places to go in Florida. It's a beautiful little town. Uh, had such severe storm surge that it could be months or years before that community has recovered. Um, so we're already seeing right now the impacts of climate change. And in fact, we've already had one degree Celsius of warming since the Industrial Revolution began around 1900. And we know that that is from man-made carbon emissions. We know that it's already happened, and we already see climate impacts from that warming. It seems like every year is a record heat year. It seems like every storm is a record storm. It seems like every wildfire out here on the West Coast is a record wildfire, and that will continue as the planet warms. Record-breaking Bad weather events become normal and not exceptional. And you can imagine what that means for economic impact and the very sustainability of human cities. Of course, not all parts of the earth are impacted equally. The southern hemisphere uh, will have more miserable days and weather events than the northern hemisphere, for example. And sadly, almost perfectly consistently the more impoverished people are it seems the more that their region is being impacted by climate change so there's an incredible incredibly bad uh, correlation here between impacts and wealth so we've already experienced climate change and so this new report from the ipcc says that one and a half degrees is the target necessary to avoid widespread socioeconomic damage or pain i hesitate to say calamity although that that may not be too big a term one and a half in other words we've already heated one degree and they're saying we should limit heating to one and a half degrees that's we have a half degree celsius left and that's because we're seeing worse impacts already than anticipated and we expect that trend to continue or even accelerate more and here's the problem. To limit overall heating to one and a half degrees, which is what the Paris Accords are trying to do, by the way, we have to cut CO2 emissions much more and much more quickly than we thought. So where the Paris Accords are leading us, even though on paper they're trying to stay below two degrees, ideally at one and a half, is three degrees or three and a half degrees Celsius of warming. Of course, no action uh, by, you know, 2100 uh, or, or 2150 has us maybe as much as five degrees of heating. And we'll talk about why that's a big deal in a few moments. But if we want to hit one and a half degrees, we have to cut CO2 emissions 45% by 2030. 2030. That's not some distant point in the future. 2030 is in my lifetime easily. Unless I have an accident or a heart attack or something. 
2030, and we need to cut CO2 emissions 100% by 2050. 100%. In order to do that in 2050, we would need 70 to 85% of our energy coming from renewable energy sources. We'd have to levy a heavy tax on carbon emissions, and we would need technology that scrubs carbon from the air. In other words, the remaining non-renewable energy sector would need to have technology that removes carbon from the air, if that's even technically possible. In other words, can we build technology that scales to do that? I don't know. Nobody knows. Yes, we've seen some carbon scrubbers, uh, but they take energy. So if you scrub carbon from the air but produce more carbon in the process of doing so, it's like putting a refrigerator in your kitchen with the door open and trying to cool it. Uh, thanks to thermodynamics, more heat comes out of a refrigerator than cool air. So if you open a fridge, it's it acts like a space heater. Somewhat counterintuitively. Are, are you hearing this? 100% of CO2 emissions need to be cut by 2050 to limit heating to one and a half degrees, which is no paradise, by the way, one and a half degrees Celsius. So we're not talking about future generations anymore. We're talking about hitting one and a half degrees Celsius around 2040 at our current pace of carbon emissions. 2040, my word, 22 years from now. I'll be younger than my parents. In 22 years. Scary, scary stuff. So we're not talking about future generations. We are talking about us. We are talking about the effects we're going to see in our lifetimes on this planet and on our civilization and on our cultures. Don't panic, everybody. I've been panicking. Don't panic. It doesn't help. It's really important to note that the changes that the world sees from warming are not linear. More warming causes more severe impacts for degrees. Here's what that means. A degree and a half Celsius of global climate warming is manageable but difficult. No picnic. Still going to have mass migrations. Still have a lot of impacts we'll talk about in a second. But five degrees of warming puts the survival of human civilization and most life on the earth in question. Five degrees is an Armageddon number. And here's what that looks like. I'm gonna I'm just gonna give you some facts and figures from the World Resources Institute uh, as derived from this IPCC report. So let's talk about extreme heat. And by extreme heat, let's talk about the percentage of the global population exposed to severe heat at least once every five years. Extreme heat or severe heat means like so hot uh, you'll die, right? Well, that's what we mean by extreme heat. If you're outside, even if you're inactive, you'll die in extreme heat. So at one and a half degrees, 14% of the world is exposed to severe heat at least once every five years. That's a lot of people. (laughs) <laughs> that's nowhere near uh, where we've been historically. At two degrees, that's a half degree difference. It's 37% or 2.6 times worse. So that half degree of additional warming makes a heat impact 
in this metric that's 2.6 times worse. Let's talk about how often the Arctic Sea during the summer is completely free of ice at one and a half degrees. That's at least once every 100 years. At two degrees, that's at least once every 10 years or 10 times worse from a half degree of additional warming. Let's talk about extinction. At one and a half degrees, 4% of vertebrate species will lose at least half of their range. At two degrees, 8% or two times worse. 8% of plant species lose at least half their range at 1.5 degrees, 16% at 2 degrees, two times worse. Insects, those little wonderful creatures that power global ecosystems and power food chains, 6% of them lose half their range at 1.5 degrees, 18% at 2 degrees. And you can see now why the effects get compounded, because as plants start to lose their range, they stop mitigating carbon emissions, right? Fewer plants means less CO2 absorption, means an accelerated rate of change. At one and a half degrees, 7% of the Earth's ecosystems shift to a new biome, primarily meaning becoming deserts. 13% at two degrees, or 1.86 times worse. Crop yields in the tropics are reduced by 3% at one and a half degrees, or 7% at two degrees. Let's talk about the oceans. The oceans not only get warmer, carbon makes them more acidic. So, at one and a half degrees, we lose between 70 and 90% of the coral reefs on this planet, which is a lot. But at two degrees, we lose 99 to 100% of coral organisms on this planet. One and a half degrees, 2040. Remember that. One and a half degrees and 2040. We're not talking about some distant hypothetical future. Fisheries. A lot of people around the world rely on fish for their protein. At one and a half degrees, we lose one and a half million tons of fishery capacity. And at two degrees, we lose three million tons. The effects of climate change are not linear. Not at all. As we warm more, the cycles and systems that produce climate change intensify. That's already happening, by the way. One of the things that has caused us to heat more rapidly is that trees and plants all over the world hit their carbon-carrying capacity, and now they can't pull in more carbon than usual. They've been trying to do us a solid, those wonderful green living things, and they have run out of capacity to do so. And meanwhile, we are cutting them down as fast as we can to make room for more livestock. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. And I have been thinking about this for several days since the report came out, and I was despondent. Uh, you can talk to my wife, Jenny, a.k.a. the Honey Badger. I, I have been miserable to be around and miserable to talk to. I have not known how to talk about this to the public. I haven't known how to talk about this to my friends because this is legitimately terrifying. 
If this is what we're talking about by 2040, what are we talking about by 2100 right now? 2200. That seems like a long time away, but I mean, America's a couple hundred years old, right? <laughs> is it possible that in another couple hundred years, there's there's no global human civilization? That we're hunter-gatherers again? Or that we're barely hanging on in the midst of a, a global mass extinction event? It's plausible. It's scary, frightening things. And I read both the summary report for policymakers and the full report from the IPCC. I looked at both. And I noticed some stark differences in what they offered policymakers versus what they offered other scientists in the full report. The, the summary for policymakers didn't include a lot of the tipping points. In other words, heating releases additional heating factors that accelerate climate change or the impacts that that will have on human civilization, primarily through one means, which is mass migration, people fleeing climate calamity in hundreds of thousands and then millions of people. And then what that means for conflict. I mean, think about millions of people displaced and thirsty and what that would mean for global terrorism and global conflict is not a good picture. It's not a good picture. And the reason I get so dark is I look at the trajectory of the West right now and our movement towards populism and nativism at the exact moment when we need to take a more global view on what humanity is. We seem to be pointing more and more inward and more and more insular because we are afraid. And that's why I've been afraid to talk about this and why I've been trying to think about how to talk about this is when we talk about climate change, it's such a massive problem. Learning about it can make us feel powerless and hopeless and afraid, and that can keep us from acting. So my friends, I do not want to make you feel powerless or hopeless or afraid because I want you to act, and I want you to act with me, and I want you to act now. We've got to act on climate change not just tweet about climate change. We've got to make substantive differences in our own lives. And you can make a difference as a consumer, and you should. You can use less energy. You can do an energy audit on your home. You can reduce your consumption of electricity. You can use mass transit more. I'm doing that, by the way. I live in Los Angeles, which has got a real pain in the butt mass transit system. And I, when I go to and from the airport now, I take mass transit, which eats up an extra couple hours of my life each way. But I'm determined to lower my personal carbon footprint. So you can make a difference as a consumer. And you should. But you can't make enough of a difference as a consumer. And in fact, if all of us consumers work together and only make changes in our own lives, we will not hold warming to one and a half degrees. We will blow right past it. Because when we look at where carbon is coming from, we understand that governments and corporations have far more power to impact climate change than individuals do. So, as a consumer, you can make a difference. But you'll make a bigger difference as an advocate. We, the public, have to hold corporations and governments accountable and demand immediate change. Immediate Immediate change. Coal power plants have got to go globally. 
And that's that's a really unfair thing for developing economies. Can you imagine we in the West here with our developed civilization and our much higher GDPs, we're shifting to renewable technologies when we've already benefited from the free and easy energy, or not free, but very inexpensive energy that comes from burning up carbon-based fuel sources. Now we're telling other countries they can't do the same. In my opinion, there's only one fair route, and that's for the developed West, who created most of the climate change problem, to reach into these deep pockets of ours and offer to subsidize and assist the rest of the world in their migration to renewable energy. Why? Because we don't want to live on a hellscape of a planet. Because we want future generations on Earth to survive We want human civilization and culture to survive, right? So you can and should make a difference. And I'll have have a link in the show notes this week on how to do that. I'll have links in the show notes on more resources to learn about climate change. Uh, But the biggest thing we need to talk about is how to be advocates in driving policy change. And I don't have the answers on today's program for that. At all. What I want to make you aware of this week is that climate change is worse than we thought. And you need to know that. But you don't need to fall into a state of fear and disempowerment over that. You need to get fired up and you need to get ready to make a difference. So here's my plan. New thing on Ask Science Mike for the foreseeable future, maybe forever, is I'm going to regularly do climate change episodes. I'm going to invite climate scientists and climate advocates and policymakers on the program, and we're going to have an ongoing conversation about how to prepare for climate change, how to adapt to climate change, and how to drive substantive policy changes that help limit the amount of warming that the planet goes through. I've already had climate scientists offer to come on the program. I'm going to take them up on that. Uh, It's not going to be one. It's not going to be two. It's going to be as many as I can get. And we'll open up uh, the Ask Science Mike inbox to your climate change questions. In fact, immediately, if you want to start sending in questions on climate change, do so. I will have experts on that can answer them. Not only scientists, who explain how it's happening and what we should do, but also advocates who can tell us how to actually make a difference and drive change. I'd love to have conversations with experts on how to talk to climate change deniers. If you know anyone who's an expert on communicating with people who don't believe climate change is happening or don't believe that humanity is driving it, I want to hear from you. Let me know. I want to have those people on the program so we can figure out together how to talk to the people who don't believe this is happening. But let's be clear. Surveys consistently show that a majority of Americans want the government to take immediate action on climate change. And surveys also show that the percentage that wants no action under any circumstances is very, very small. It's less than 5%. When we talk about climate change for so long, We've talked about what we're going to do for future generations. If there's anything I take away 
from the most recent report from the IPCC is that we are no longer talking about future generations. We're no longer talking about the distant future. We are talking about our lives and our children's lives. I don't know how yet, but I think that together we can figure out how to break out of the paralysis that we face societally on climate change and move into action that preserves and protects life on this planet. Because so often we talk about the economic impacts of renewable energy. We talk about the economic impacts of carbon-neutral living. But the economic impacts of unchecked climate change will be disastrous, potentially taking global GDP to zero. And so even from the most free market, conservative economic perspective, the time to act is now. If you can't do it for yourself, and you can't do it for your children, then do it for the economy. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll talk to you next week.